right. Hey, good morning. My name is Brandon. I serve as lead pastor here. I'm so glad to be joined this morning by Jared McLean. I'll introduce him more in just a second, but we are going to take some time to pray, and then we're going to teach from Scripture. There should be a red Bible around you somewhere if you want to grab that. Um, Each week, um, we take time to do these rhythms because Scripture invites us to be a people of prayer and to be a people that take Scripture seriously. And so um, normally for our teaching time, if you're new, uh, I'm one of three elders. I'm on staff, and then we have two non-staff elders, Adam and Tori. Our job is to basically be responsible for the doctrine of the church, one of our jobs, which means that about 70% of the time, in addition to kind of overseeing our statement of faith and our belief system, uh, we uh, teach here on Sunday. Um, But we also love to, that's kind of what we call big T teaching, is, is being responsible for the theology of the church. But We also have what we call little t teaching, right? Where Colossians uh, 4 tells all of us to be teaching one another. And so we love to be able to hear from other gifted men and women who are not elders, both inside and outside of our church, who uh, can explain and interpret and apply uh, scripture to our lives. And so this morning, really thankful to be able to have uh, Jared. Jared's uh, family is here. Uh, Catherine, his mother, uh, Karen is here also from Atlanta. Uh, There are many awesome things. Two beautiful daughters who I'm sure are downstairs by now. Um, they live here in our neighborhood. Um, Jared is the Young Life Director for Washington Township. So if you're in Washington Township schools, yeah, just lift up a hand. If you're in any way connected with Washington Township, good good for you to be able to know who Jared is and Jared to know who you are. Um, But I can say a lot of things about him. Just I so appreciate who you are and just getting to know you, spending time in your home. Uh, You guys are the real deal. You and Catherine are the real deal. I'm so thankful that you're here. One of my favorite things about them, though, is they are from, uh, they just moved here from Lexington, Kentucky, and you guys know what that means to me. I went to UK. My parents are EKU grads where he played football, and so um, just grateful that you're here in our community, Um, grateful that you're here this morning. Jared is also an ordained pastor, and so uh, super sharp, and after listening to the first sermon, you guys are going to be so blessed to hear from him. Before we dive into teaching time, though, I want to just, each week we do have a time for prayer for renewal, and that is kind of directly from Jeremiah 29, where God tells uh, through the prophet Jeremiah that exiles, uh, you know, don't leave the city, don't freak out, stay here and seek the welfare of the city, because in the city's welfare, you will find your own. And then he says, pray for the shalom, the peace of the city. And so this is our opportunity to be, able to be praying for different neighborhoods, different industries, different ways that God's at work in all kinds of ordinary ways. And so this morning, we just want to kind of highlight and spotlight Young Life. Uh, I know many of you have come to Christ. You, you came to know Jesus because of a Young Life club, maybe in your high school or middle school. Many of you have volunteered Young Life. And in so many ways, as I'm sure Jared will say in a moment, um, as everything's kind of fallen apart during COVID, this is a rebuilding season for, for them as well. And so we... Uh, want to just highlight what you guys are doing, and I uh, would love to learn more about kind of what you're hoping and dreaming about and how people could get engaged with Young Life in this new season. Yep. Well, thank you all for having me and my family. We moved here in May to restart ministry at North Central, but also um, the other schools within Washington Township, middle schools, private schools, Butler as well. Um, really with the idea of saying every kid deserves to hear the gospel. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with the makeup of North Central, but it probably is the most diverse school in our city. And um, our goal of restarting Young Life is to say we want our ministry to reflect our place. We want every kid, regardless of their walk, their zip code, their tax bracket, um, what kind of shoes they wear, 
to come into a space where they feel like they can encounter and meet um, something afresh, a man named Jesus. We live in a tinderbox, a cultural moment since 2020. Um, Our world is divided. Our city is divided. Um, Our schools, when you walk into that school, it is very evident that it's divided. So what better time for ministry like Young Life that is trying to cross many cultural barriers and create a space where good news could be heard, um, but that good news can be practiced. And like Pastor said, uh, we are restarting. Um, and first and, first and foremost, I would much rather your prayers than anything else. Um, to do what we're trying to do is going to take a, a move of God to, to do something special in North Central. So please pray with us. And if some of you are crazy enough to say, hey, I want to give up some time and hang out with some high schoolers. That'd be great, too. Um, and then, obviously, as a nonprofit, as a ministry, we're always looking for financial partners. So if any of those things resonate with you, please come find me after service. But um, hear me say that if, it, if w- we want to bring heaven to earth, if, when it's all said and done, You're going to have to live in eternity with a bunch of people that don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't act like you. Why not make that reality happen today? Um, Young Life is doing that. And as we'll hear later, um, you as the church are called to be a part of that work, too. Thank you, Jared. So um, just real quick, what would you say be the top two ways we can pray for you in this moment? Yes. um, Pray for my family. We moved to a new city. Um, we're looking for people to partner with us, um, both boots on the ground and financially. So pray for us as a unit, and then pray for uh, opportunity. Every time there comes challenge in life, the other side of challenge means there's opportunity for something. And so um, kids are asking spiritual questions. They are more spiritual than you realize because of what they've been through. They want to know. What does God have to do with my situation in life? So pray that opportunity can happen, conversation can happen, and and, and partnerships can happen with North Central. So Jared's going to be out in the gallery afterwards. Um, Feel free to say hello to him. If you're interested in serving, please grab him. He's looking for uh, some A-list volunteers. I know that some of you guys have a passion for that. Um, Pray for them, of course. And then do give to them. And I want to be a little bit more uh, bold than even Jared can be because he's a guest, but our church just gave them a gift. Some of you have a gift of generosity. Some of you have an ability to give above and beyond resources, thousands of dollars. It takes a lot of money to support the staff team uh, and what they're doing. A lot of this is just relational ministry. And so we don't want them to have to have the burden of trying to reach kids while also worrying about where money's coming from. We know that God, uh, especially in a place like Broderpool, there are so many resources that should never be a challenge for young life. So let's take care of that problem for them and make sure that we are a place that they know they're being supported financially. So if you want to do that, I can guarantee you, Jared can tell you all the ways you can give money to him. So, and to young life, but thankful for you guys. If you would, let's extend a hand. We want to pray over them. And then Jared will lead us uh, in teaching here. God, you are so good. You are a good father. And I thank you that you see, that you know, that you love all of these young people that live in Washington Township, that live all over the city, that come to school in Washington Township. God, you created them. You made them in your image for your glory. And you long to see them restored to wholeness. 
And so, God, we do pray for your peace to come to all the Washington Township schools. We pray that your presence will be felt and treasured and delighted in by the staff, from the regional staff all the way down to volunteers and the board and parents, and then out to the students. God, I pray that the quality of eternal life that permeates the hearts and the minds and the bodies of every adult who loves Jesus and is seeking to love their neighbor would be felt in tangible ways as they walk those halls, as they just say hello. I pray that there would be something different in the way that they interact with a non-anxious presence that would just draw and attract students to the Jesus that they that has saved them and that has redeemed them and that longs to know personally these, these kids who you love so dearly. And so God, I pray for your beloved community, the church, for all the uh, staff to just be faithful, to be present to you and to be present to these kids. And as they do that, God, would you bless them? Um, would you bless them with just kingdom fruit? And God, we pray against the principalities and the powers that are at war with them. We know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against school boards primarily or um, institutional uh, you know, structures, it is against Satan and the enemy who seeks to undermine human flourishing among the children that you've created for yourself. And so we pray against that. We pray, Jesus, that you would bring truth, that you would bring grace, and through that, that you would set free a generation to proclaim your praises. We love you, and we thank you. We pray that you provide more than they could ask or imagine or think in this next season. And may our church be just one conduit of the many uh, signs of your kingdom breaking in through our generosity and our prayers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't think I need to do any more introductions. Pastor covered it. We did move here in May. I am from Atlanta, Georgia, originally. Um, I do want to say thank you to Soma. Your hospitality has been very gracious to me and my wife and kids since we've, we've came here maybe twice before today, um, and it's been very warm. So let that be an encouragement and testament to the kind of people and environment that you are cultivating here at Soma. Uh, this morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. Whatever apparatus or old school Bible you have, when you got it, say, I got it. Okay, um, I will read the passage, and then I'll pray for our time. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are all blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Verse 46. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of the Lord. Let me pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and mercy towards us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. It's with that spirit now that I ask that you would lend to me to speak the truth and nothing but the truth. That whatever is not of you, that it would fall off in these moments. And that your word would fall afresh on good soil and blossom in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to tag this text in our exchange, sheep and goats. Look to your neighbor, say, neighbor. Sheep and goats. Amen. That was actually better than the first service. <laughs> so um, just like I told them, this may be a new experience for you. I come from the black preaching tradition. And when I preach, I expect some feedback, some call and response. Um, that, that could be amen. That could be a good mm-hmm preach anything, something, because the more you talk back to me, the faster I get to my seat. So that's how this will go. So let's enjoy it. The haves and the have-nots, those with much and those with little, classism, elitism, rich and poor. These are but just a few ways we humans tend to think about and categorize the world in which we dwell. From schools to zip codes to entire communities, much of our current social realities don't just think this pragmatically. But many of us, many of you, myself, these are the ways we function in the world according to these categories. You either got it or you don't. That's the narrative. That's what's forming you day in and day out. 
the haves and the have-nots. Oh, but it's not just out there in the world. It's not just in our workspaces. It's not just where we work, live, and play. What is most discouraging at times is that this kind of thinking, this kind of living, is practiced so vividly within the church by those who claim to follow Jesus. See, you save folk, get a little money. You, you garner a little success. You, you acquire social status in your world. You get a few degrees. You got a couple initials next to your name. And all of a sudden, you have forgotten who you are. You have forgotten who you are, and then you forget who you belong to. This was the case of a young Christian whose government name was Giovanni. To his friends, he was Francesco. You know the name. We have an American city named after him, San Francisco. But to historians and to your modern ears, he is better known as Francis of Assisi. You know the guy that, that, that quoted, says, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. That guy, that quote has fallen on hard evangelical times. But there's something true to what he's saying. Francis was a Christian. He was wealthy. But he, just like many who identify as Christians, started to accumulate just a modicum of earthly treasures. And just like that, you and he start to become disenchanted with God. You, you become a lover of your things. Jesus is no longer Lord, but instead your drive towards financial and familial security becomes Lord of your life. There, St. Francis is that afternoon on that old, dusty Italian road riding on his horse, gallivanting near his hometown of Assisi, when he comes across a poor man, a poor man who possessed leprosy. Francis had a kind of disdain and disgust for folk with leprosy. He avoided them at all costs, so much so he hated them. After all, people with leprosy were synonymous with the poor of his day. But on this particular day, something would happen to young Francis. To his surprise, something began to stir up inside this brother. And, and it moved him to hop off his horse and run over to his fellow and give a man with leprosy a hug and a kiss. In grade school, we call that cooties. You don't, you don't touch the person with cooties. This man hugs him. He engages this man. He gets, gets up close and personal with the man with leprosy. <clears throat> the story goes that as Francis turns to get back on his horse, he glances back to look for the man, but he's nowhere to be found. And what was in that moment he realizes in that moment that the man he had hugged and kissed was Jesus. Mm, I feel it. I don't know about you. But friends, this is the posture 
This is what we find when you look under the hood of Matthew chapter 25, when you raise the curtain of Jesus' words here. We see that it's a kind of telescope into the heart of God. It urges upon us the realities of being God's people on mission. Being in the world, but not of it. It says to, to you and me that true and undefiled religion is one of love and compassion and humility for our fellow neighbor. And this love, here it is, this love is born out of a deep and abiding love for God. When we come to Matthew 25, we see Jesus at the end of his earthly ministry. There they are, those tired and, and, and young, boisterous disciples huddled around Jesus there on the Mount of Olives, staring, laser-focused on his face, hanging and gasping at every word that Jesus utters. Can you see them? Can you see the desperation and the anticipation weighing on them as they look and behold God in the flesh? Can you see him, church? They ask him a question that every Christian then and now has asked and has wanted to know Jesus. My man, how you doing? I've got to know. I've, I've been wondering. Do you think you can tell us how things will end? Oh, you think about it too when you lay your head down at night? When you think about your station in life? how life has weighed down on you. You've walked into this space wondering, confused, frustrated, and, and crying out, God, why me? Why is my life what it is today? You know, But Jesus, he has a way of leaving them with more questions than answers. In typical Jesus fashion, he pulls out one of his parables, his stories like we find here. Now, this is how I know. This is how I know I'm, I'm still being worked. I don't know about you, but I'm being sanctified in the flesh. I'm, I'm being changed from one degree of glory to another. I hope some of you could be truthful and say you can meet me there too. Because I'm saying, come on, Jesus. You, every time someone comes to you with a question, you got to be cryptic. You, you got to go around the way, add in a story or here. Just, just get to the point. Tell us what we want to know, and we'll be on our way. But Jesus, in his long-winded fashion, he spends two, not one, two whole chapters answering one question. This is why. This is why we're not God. Because he moves when he wants to move. And when we get to our section in chapter 25, we catch the tail end of said conversation. Jesus has just ended his long soliloquy about the end of the age with a parable about the poor. I know, I know that the question that you're all asking is, what does caring for the poor and vulnerable have to do with the advent? the second coming of Jesus. Well, I'm glad you asked. Here it is. 
This text, this text is tailored to teach you and I that if Jesus is who you call Lord, then what matters to him has to matter to you. I I thought I would get a better reaction. So let me turn a corner. Let Let me try it this way. To be a follower of Jesus means that caring for the poor and vulnerable among us is assumed in the Christian life. It's not optional. It's the call. Here it is. Jesus picks up in verse 31 using his favorite self-proclaimed title, the Son of Man. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory. I could close the book right there. I could bless you and we could be on our way. Because that's a mouthful. And I don't know if you caught it. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory. See, I know, I know there are some of you who have come to church this morning feeling hopeless. You have felt confused. Your your marriage is hanging on by a string. Your kids aren't doing the things that you've taught and communicated and discipled them to do. When you get on your phone and you watch social media and you look at the news, you wonder why is there so much hurt and pain and disturbance and evil in the world? And for some of us, that evil and disturbance has come to your doorstep. And then it's hard for you to put your clothes on in the morning and put your feet on the ground and, and, and walk out the door and put a smile on your face and act like everything's okay. You're, you came here waiting to hear a word from God that will put oxygen back into your soul. Something of good news that will lift your head up because life hasn't been too kind to you of late. And I didn't think I would feel it this early. But, it, but, but it's good news when I read things like when the Son of Man comes in all his glory. Because that means that when he comes, your troubles will be no more. That life as you know it will be different. That there is hope on the other side. That the sun will rise and warm your face. Jesus in verses 31 and 34 is declaring his authority. When we see the Son of Man, Jesus is making it known that I am in charge. And I see a lot of young faces in the room. You millennials and Gen Zers. See, we have a hard time with words like authority and submission and lordship. Because you have been taught that you get to control your destiny. That you have your own volitional will to do whatever you want to do and be whatever you want to be. And I've got to say, or I've got to ask the question, how's that been going for you? The biblical idea of submission and authority is not that it would suppress you or oppress you. It's actually in place so that you would live the life that you were called to. It, it, it's, a, it's a track, it's, it's lanes, it's bumpers for you to live the flourishing and thriving life. And when God proclaims his submission and authority in the world, 
He's proclaiming that unto you because he cares. He actually cares what you do and what you say and who you're with. When the Son of Man comes, then he will sit on his throne. Before him will be gathered. He will separate. He will place. Friends, these are clauses. This is language of God's lordship. Just in case the disciples may have forgotten who Jesus really is, Jesus is here to first remind them who they are dealing with. He's not just Lord of the heavens, but he's Lord of the earth. And by consequence, Jesus is Lord of all the nations. That means peoples, your neighbors, your friends, your family. There is no one who can rival his power. There is no one with more authority vested to their person. Presidents, dictators, generals and popes and bishops and everybody in between can't make such a claim. But he can, and by implication, all will have to answer to this Son of Man. In other words, God is God all by himself. That ought to bring comfort to your life. Jesus is putting the world on notice. And what is true of him up there is now being exercised down here on the terraform. Power and authority is now in the flesh, talking and walking with these disciples. Who has the authority to gather all the nations? The Son of Man. Who is glorious enough to sit on the throne of all the earth? Jesus, the Son of Man. Who has the resume? to declare who belongs on his right and on his left, God himself, Jesus in the flesh. Friends, this is what I, this is what I call a pause for station identification. You, before you can know what Jesus is calling you to, you first need to understand who is doing the calling. And that's precisely what Matthew is trying to urge upon us this morning. It's a question of lordship. And I've got to ask, who do you say Jesus is? Is he Lord of your life or is he not? There are many things that can claim to be Lord or, or want to be Lord over you. You line them up. Money, success, family, addiction. Can all those things do what Jesus can do? Can they create everything out of nothing? Can your money raise someone from the dead? Can your so-called status in life or job title grant you the power to control the, the winds from the east and the west and walk on water? Can you be everywhere and anywhere all at the same time? I like the way Gardner Taylor used to say it. Jesus would look out from nothing. He spoke to nothing. And, every, and as the words were constraining and coming out of his mouth, all that we know became everything. I'll try it again. Jesus looked out on nothing. 
He stepped out on nothing. He spoke to nothing. And here you are, breathing and living in the room. What power do you know that from the words of their mouth, everything we know came to be, including these bodies you walk in? That's power. That's the power that's making the claim that I'm Lord. And when I'm Lord, good things happen to people who walk with me. Jesus' lordship is foundation. It's the foundation of his call. It's the force behind his call to care for the poor and vulnerable. Our identity informs our action. This is what the disciples needed to understand. Caring for the poor and vulnerable is evidence of a deeply personal relationship with Jesus himself. So if he's Savior then he has to be Lord. It was last fall. I took my family and I to Evans Orchard. You know, it's an apple farm. Apple trees all over the place. I've never done anything like that. We didn't do that in Atlanta. This wasn't us. (laughs) So we did it. And as you can guess, when you go to an apple tree uh, farm or apple orchard, you're going to see many, many apples. You won't see oranges, you won't see pears, you won't see any other kind of fruit except apples hanging from a tree. I would bet my bottom line, I I bet you now, if you were to go, do they do those things like that in Indy? Great. If you go to a pumpkin farm, an apple tree place, you're going to find pumpkins and apples. That is to say, because apple trees can only produce apples, that's what you're going to get. Your orthodoxy has got to match your orthopraxy. If you're going to make the claim that you love and walk with and abide in to a man named Jesus, then something about your life ought to reflect what you're saying. That's what we find. That's what we find here in Matthew chapter 25. But caring for the poor doesn't just point to one's relationship with Jesus. Caring for the poor and vulnerable demonstrates to our city that Jesus identifies with the downcast and forgotten. Oh, I'm getting there now. He has always been on the side of those who have been forgotten about and and outcast by uh, the majority society. He was always been on the side of the oppressed. Moses, come help me preach my sermon. You remember those Israelites who slaved their way under Egypt's thumb. God said, let my people go. He came down and said, Moses, I've heard the groanings. I've heard the cries of my folk. And I plan to do something. Because that's who I've decided to hitch my wagon to the lowly, the poor in spirit, those who have have had their backs against the wall. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As if it wasn't enough that God, under his own volition, decided to step down from his perch in heaven. Then he had the audacity to put on skin put his jeans on and his J's and, and, and walk into the world to put on flesh and become a man, but, but never once fell from perfection, never once was tainted by sin, never once became of the world. But then he took it a step further. Jesus started hanging out with prostitutes and lepers and the blind and the paralyzed, all of whom were the most vulnerable of his day. The poorest, his friends were the social outcasts, the widows and the orphans, the folks that society had thrown away. That was who, that was his community. He washed dirty folk feet. He moved towards the lowly rather than away. He would speak to those that others didn't want to speak to. He did it so much that his own peers would treat him as if he was one of them, he left behind all his glory, all his splendor, all his majesty, his comfort, his convenience. He who was rich in all things had now become poor. Why? Because he chose to become one of you. Oh, but, but, but Jared, I'm, I'm not poor. I'm not needy. I, I can't quite relate to, to what you're trying to convey. I'm, I'm having trouble empathizing with your words. I have a home. I've got clothes on my back. I've got a nice car in my garage or sitting in my driveway. I've got a little change in my pocket. What does the poor and vulnerable and forgotten have in common with you and me? So you may not lack, lack anything physical, but what you and the folks that fill up our city's homeless shelters and the men and women that line up in countless food pantries across Indianapolis and the 40% of the students who go to North Central and they're on free and reduced lunch who don't know where their next meal is going to come from, or, or young kids in our city who don't have a roof over their head, what, what they got, you got too, a problem with sin. The God that they needed is the same God that you need this very moment. And that's what sin does. It levels the playing field. It says to the world that it doesn't matter what you did or where you came from. It doesn't matter how much stuff you got. You and everybody else has an issue with this thing called sin. You need a savior. Just like they need to save it. Your bout with sin is no different than theirs. And, and none of that changes the fact that every knee will bow. That every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
For all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous in the land, no, not one. Heaven cannot see bank accounts. It doesn't matter what your address says. So what if your tax bracket is high or middle or low? All heaven can see is if you possess faith or no faith. If you did the Father's will or decided not to. Everyone has an account full of sin that needs rectifying. And friends, it was precisely this moment while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. The sin and misery that Jesus took as he marched up that hill called Calvary, and he had that old, ruggish uh, wooden cross on his back. He was beaten. He was bloodied. He was ridiculed and humiliated and spit on and laughed at. Jesus was ready and willing to give up everything so that his people, you, could have everything. That's good news. The God of the universe came into the world full of obscurity. He came into the world as a social outcast. He died in poverty. He died in obscurity. He died as an outcast. His life, his ministry was built upon ethics of compassion and love and mercy, ethics that would then turn the world upside down, therefore turning your world upside down. He brought hope to the hopeless and light to the dark and life to the dead. And, and that's the bad news because he went down deep into that grave. He died until sin apologized. He, he, he died until death was vanquished. And as they would say back home, early, early, early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. He got up with all majesty and righteousness and justice and goodness vested on him and said, this is my kingdom and now let it go be. The chains of death had been defeated. The misery of sin was no more. And up out of that grave came with him those who were low are now made high. Bowed heads are raised and, and now he has called the church to follow into his footsteps to be like him in the world. Not because it makes you feel good or it sounds good or itches your savior complex or you feel guilty about something. No, we serve because he first served us. You love because of a deep love for God that comes out onto your neighbor. Friends, Jesus's identification with humanity was so that he could fully bear yours and my burdens. He identifies with us so that our sin would be his. He becomes you so that you could become more like him. How'd that add up? When I was in Lexington, I led at a school called Bryan Station. It was in the poor zip code in the city. It was in the uh, bottom percentile of education and test scores. 90% of the kids that walked into those hallways did not know where their meals were coming from. It was 100% free and reduced 
uh, lunch school. And here I am trying to do ministry. And, and, and we Western modernized folk, when we think of ministry, we think of proclamation. If, if I'm not saying something about Jesus, I'm not doing good work. Half of our ministry was just showing up. We would show up in the lunchroom. We would show up at kids' neighborhood. Everything we did, we brought food. We had no idea what any of that stuff would lead. But we met a need. We met physical need. We knew at least if we, if we can't say something about Jesus, maybe we could be the hands and feet of Jesus. Maybe. Day in and day out, our leaders would show up physically. And we didn't always have spiritual conversations. We didn't always constantly talk about the gospel and, and, and discipleship and all those things. No, we stepped up and moved into the neighborhood of folks who needed help. Not from a posture of pride or paternalism, but then something began to happen. Over time, those small interactions would turn into conversations. Those conversations would turn into breaking bread together. And for us in our context, those, those meals and fun things would turn into camp trips, which would then turn into Bible studies, which would then turn into lives being changed because of gospel ministry. Now, I'm not saying all y'all need to go into full-time ministry. No, that is not the application. Because pastor and I actually need some of y'all to keep making money to fund what we're trying to do. Okay? But what I am saying is that when you make the decision to go to the turf of someone that didn't come from where you come from, they don't wear the clothes that you wear, they don't talk the way you talk, something can miraculously happen because God is faithful. That person could be your very neighbor right now. But we have a hard time of moving close to folk. And just simply asking the question, how are you doing? There could be needs right up under our noses, but we are so busy and we have so many things to do that we don't have the capacity to do the very thing that we come to church and talk about every Sunday, which is show up in someone's life. And I don't know where that space or place is for some of you. It could be Young Life. I know you guys do good ministry at the poorhouse. It could be the poorhouse. But, but, but what if you said, you know what, I'm going to go to this nonprofit or I'm going to serve in this capacity. What if that service moved into a conversation? What if that service moved and said, hey, would you like to grab a meal together? And just simply say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust it. That takes courage, I know. But Jesus moved into your neighborhood. I think we can move into other folks' neighborhood, too. I'm done now. But before I take my seat, I'll leave you with this story. His name is Martin of Tours. He was a Roman soldier, soldier and a Christian. And one freezing day, a beggar asked him for alms, money. Martin had no money, but seeing the man blue with cold, he ripped his soldier's cloak in half and gave one half of it to this beggar. And that night he had a dream, Martin. 
In his dream, he saw Jesus in the courts of heaven wearing half of his coat. He heard and asked an angel and said, Master, why are you wearing that old, battered, dusty coat? Who gave it to you? Jesus replies, my servant Martin gave it to me. Friends, what we do on earth matters eternally. God has given us bodies for a reason. He didn't just give us brains and intellectual ability and hearts that, that, that feel bad for certain things. He gave us feet and hands. Jesus closes his discourse here with words of sheer clarity. Verse 46. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Oh, the righteous. See, we Christians in America have a hard time with that word righteous and righteousness. We see the word and think from a linear perspective. We think of righteousness as a judicial or forensic term, a legal term. To be righteous is to be made innocent. We think of it in a very personal and individualized category. But that's not the whole picture. Many of us think that Righteousness just deals with our personal standing with God. And other, others of us think that it's a legal term. But, but Jesus is very concerned with your spiritual life. Please don't hear me say anything else. Jesus cares about your soul. Yes, he does. But it is clear to me that he is also concerned with your social and relational life as well. That's the idea of righteousness. It's the Old Testament Turn. In the Old Testament, you don't believe me, go look at it. Anytime you see the word righteousness, it's always paired up with the word called justice. Mmm, justice. What a word in 2022. But I want to argue that it's a biblical word. And it does convey social realities. To be righteous is to do justice. To do justice is to be righteousness. You can't have one without the other. Oh, just ask the prophet Isaiah and Amos and Nahum and Obadiah and Moses and Malachi and Esther. God had done something to them, and now they were calling the people of God to do something to their neighbors. Why? Because when we act like we're uh, uh, followers of Jesus, the world actually listens and looks and says, oh, what is that? That's different. That's countercultural. When folks do justice and be righteous, we do become attractive again. And I know that those words and that idea has fallen on hard, hard times. But when you actually be the church, folks will then come to our doors and come to our walls. That's the idea that the psalmist was trying to convey in Psalm 67. That when the people of God, when the, the kingdom of, of, uh, of Israel actually does what they're supposed to do, they're living in accordance to what God has called them to, but the nations will see 
Washington Township will see when you start treating folk right. When you start showing up in spaces that they're like, you don't belong there. But when you come with love and compassion, folks will take notice. Righteousness is both a vertical and horizontal idea. It's both a noun and a verb. It gives you an identity and it gives you marching orders. It's something you are and something you do. And Jesus is saying to us that the righteous are not those who attempt to work for their salvation, but those who serve in love because of their salvation. Each time the church steps up and fills in the gap for folk in need, hear me, you are actually bringing heaven to earth. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the day when I get to go home to Jesus. Because up there, actually, when up there comes down here, it will be filled with the folk who don't speak your language who didn't live on your side of the tracks, who don't look like you. And if you can't spend eternity up there with that in mind, you're going to have a hard time. So why not bring that reality down to earth? Why not go ahead and let's, let's, let's uh, do a rehearsal. Let's bring heaven to earth and say, well, if I got to do it forever, then I might as well just get used to it now. That's the agency that you have. That's the call that Jesus is giving to Soma and to our churches across the world. We need something different. Folks don't want to come into these buildings because of what they see on social media and on the computer and how political our faith has become warped. Give them something afresh. Let's pray. Jesus, would your word reign true? Would you apply it in whatever manner you see fit? Amen.